0: Welcome everybody to another episode of run past the brain cell. I'm Adam Skirko as always joined by Jake Miller. Jake how are we doing? Pretty good you know we got to see a very interesting uh ref ball
1: and a very high scoring Thursday night football game which is kind of been out of the norm this season just because usually they've been middling or very depressing teams going at it but I know you have a lot of feelings for this game, which you were definitely oh, going to kind of oh. get all them out. I feel like this is going to be your your Shannon Sharp moment of beating the table for what the fuck is my team doing. But oh, it, other it's than,
0: so going to be. It is so going other, to be. Other than that, we actually saw
1: quite a lot of good football in Week 12. We had some good Thanksgiving games. We had the first ever Black Friday game, which kind of went with how we... Figured it would. And not really any upsets, but some games that went a little higher scoring than I thought they would. But other than that, it went pretty good. How about we... Do you want to start with the Thursday game recap because of how you feel about it, or start with our basic
0: Eyes on 5 recap? We're going to start off with Eyes on 5 because I need to let this stew a little bit more, because I do have a lot of thoughts about Thursday Night Football. But Jake, we're going to start off with your first game from week 12, which was Pittsburgh taking on Cincinnati, the Steelers coming away with a 16 to 10 win in a game that, I mean, if you look at the box score, Jake, and look at the yardage total, you'd have thought the Steelers were blowing them out. But shocker, the Steelers can't really blow anyone out, but they did at least look a little bit better under Matt without Matt Canada. Uh, What were your thoughts about it, Jake? You know, we finally got to see the offense try
1: something else besides the Jalen Warren experiment, which has been worked phenomenal. We can both agree he's been the best back they've had, if not the best offensive weapon they have had this season. The thing that really, I think, shows that with Matt Canada gone, they were willing to actually throw to Pat Fryermuth in this game. Here's something for you that I looked up. Mm -hmm. His stats for this game beat his and his stats for the entirety of the season for yardage-wise. And going into this season, people would think were thinking he could be a potential top five, top six tight end because of how consistent he's been the first couple of years of his career. And he showed it saying nine catches, 120 yards. He was damn good at the point of attack. And usually when the with the Bengals, you think of their linebackers and their safeties with Jermaine Pratt. And Logan Wilson kind of covering that middle of the field. Firemen just beat their ass. And we talked about this on the before the show. Najee Harris actually doing something. Average 6.6 a carry, almost 100 yards and a touchdown. Where the hell has this been? Is this just because Matt Canada was doing such a shitty job with his run game design? Or is Najee finally pulling his head out of his ass? I don't know we got to see katie pickett actually throw the ball downfield with four verts and a lot of pa crossers a lot of play action type of things that kenna really didn't do he wanted to stick to the dink and dunk offense their new offensive coordinator who i know is a more senior official on the Steelers' uh staff but i don't know his name off the top of my head but he's doing something right this is the first game against a top five defensive coordinator that they've had a 400-yard offensive game because during the Canada era, they didn't have a single game over 400 yards. I think it was like 59 games. They did not have a freaking 400-yard game. And on to the other side of the Bengals, you know, Browning did as good as he could. He he was kind of screwed from the start. 19 for 26, 227, touchdown and a pick. He played like you'd expect a backup to play. He kept you in the game long enough, but you, could, you couldn't you get the run game going with Mixon. 8 for 16, and that really was a nail in the coffin for them. Their defense showed out quite a bit, but, I mean, it's not really saying something keeping a Steelers offense, even without Matt Cannon, to 16 points. If they had Burrow in this game, this would have been a dub for the Bengals, but sadly, they didn't.
0: No, and Jake, I'm going to start off with something that you had touched on, but the first play of the game, they ran four verts, and they ran a go ball to Fryer move, and he caught it. And you look at the targets, Jake, he easily led them in targets with 11, and like you said, 9 for 120. But Jake, the only time they got into the end zone was with Najee Harris, who had a very good game, 15 carries for 99 yards. He did. And that touchdown and Jalen Warren, I think he went into the doghouse a little bit after that fumble. Granted though, it didn't help that Deontay Johnson, uh, what is wrong with you? My guy, you are not good enough to be this big of a fucking diva. I mean, you had eight targets and you caught four for 50 and yet your ass was so goddamn out of it because you dropped a touchdown, which was your fault. Get your fucking hands on the ball and hold on to it rather than, you know, pout, bitch, moan and just mope because that's what he was doing. Jake, he was moping. He wanted a touchdown. He's very stats driven, not so much wind driven. And I think that at some point they're probably going to have to either let him go or trade him because. Pickens, he's not much better, but at least with Pickens, he's a little bit younger. This is only a second year. Deontay Johnson's been in the league long enough. He does not need to be acting like this. But 421 yards of total offense is really, really good, regardless of who you are, but especially if you are the Steelers. But Jake, we also touched on this before the pod you had 421 total yards of offense to the Bengals 222 and the score was 16 to 10. And that's a yikes. I mean, come on. This is a backup quarterback, Jake Browning. Now he is my UW, you know, he he's a UW guy, but at the same time, there's a reason why he's a backup. He's not very good. Now I will say this, Jake. Also, he didn't perform necessarily badly considering the fact that the turnover margin was exactly the same. He did throw a pick, but that Jalen Warren fumble evened it out. And I, Jake, I don't know about the Steelers. They win a lot of ugly games. They are seven and four, but I don't believe in them as a playoff team. I really don't because while they are probably going to make the playoffs, they are probably going to be a wild card. I don't think that they are going to take uh, the division from the Ravens. I just, are we sure Jake, that this is going to be able to be a consistent thing with the Steelers going over 400 yards? Because like you said, it had been at least over 50 games since they had gone over 400, the entire tenure of Matt Canada plus. And yet I just, I don't know, Jake, I'm, I'm very iffy on the Steelers because while this is a good win, It is an ugly wind, and sometimes you need those. You can't rely on them all the time. We saw that with the Vikings in one-score games last year where they went 11-0, and now they've been on the losing end of over half of them. So as far as the Steelers go, I don't think much of the Bengals, because without Burrow, they just aren't the same team, regardless of who they have at receiver with Jamar Chase, whoever they have at running back, whoever they have on defense, they're just not the same. And the Steelers, I just, I know you picked them to win the division. And I think this is more what you were envisioning when you pick them, but they're going to have to get more points than 16 to beat a Kansas City, a Buffalo, if they miraculously make it in. Hell, even at Denver, we saw Denver could put up 29, but Jake moving on to our next game, my first game. And this game, Jake was absolutely fantastic. You had the Broncos taking on the Browns in a game that the Denver Broncos absolutely dominated 29 to 12. And Jake, my thoughts on this game were pretty simple. Russell Wilson is not washed. What he is doing is what the game calls for. He didn't have flashy numbers, only 13 to 22 for 134 and a touchdown, but that's because he's not necessarily needing to be overly flashy. Now, I do think that they need to open up the offense a lot more if they want to continue winning, because the amount of turnovers that they are getting, Jake, is just out of this world insane, and turnovers come in bunches. Jake, they racked up, they racked up four no, sorry, three turnovers. They racked up three more turnovers, which brings them to a total of 15 in the last four games. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, granted, Russell did lose a fumble, which is unfortunate. You definitely don't want that. And it was him getting more yards, getting a first down, and then just a well-placed punch more than anything. I was very impressed by that. And I think Denver, Jake, I told you, I think that they can make it into the playoffs. And if they can run the ball as well as they have been as well, I think that they could be a legitimate threat because even Russell Wilson, Jake had 11 carries. He only had 34 yards, but he did get into the end zone on one of them. And then 39 total carries for 169 yards and two total touchdowns. That's pretty good. And also this defense, I've been very, very impressed with this defense. After giving up 70 to the Dolphins, since then, the most points that they've allowed is 22. Not to mention, Jake, I think I read a stat where if they kept on this pace, it would be a change of 19 points per game from where they went, from where they were to where they are now, which would be the biggest jump in NFL history. I like Denver a lot, and I think for Cleveland, you're seven and four, and you, you're looking at Joe Flacco potentially being your starter if Dorian Thompson Robinson can't go this week. I like Joe, but he's a postseason quarterback and he's only ever done it once. Now your run game's solid, but I mean, David Njoku and Amari Cooper, I feel bad for him because they're kind of wallowing away in some really crappy quarterback play. Even with Deshaun healthy, he wasn't playing all that well. Jake, this defense, though, for Cleveland, they did get worked. They only gave up one sack. Now, they did hit Russ four times, but Denver's defense looked more physical than them, and they just looked playing better today or in this game, and I was just shocked. What were your thoughts?
1: I could definitely agree with that. I think the biggest win of this game was, can we agree, just really quick, that the Broncos' O-line at first half of the season was a turnstile at a lot of positions.
0: Oh, it was a turnstile. It was it was as bad as a turnstile as Silverwood.
1: Yeah. So they held the this freaking defense that is the Browns to one sack. And when you were holding a defense like this, that has, which could be the defensive player of the year. And Miles Garrett, you yeah, have Darius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson. They have a lot of talent in that front seven. And you give up one sack to a blitzing linebacker in JOK. Um, that was what really impressed me about this game. Yeah, you didn't really get the offensive stats in the passing game from Russ that a lot of people wanted to see. But he did what he had to do, like you said. They're not opening up the playbook for him, but you, we both think that they should. But at the end of the day, the Broncos did what they had to do. They played very solid defense. They got four sacks. And Nick Benito is kind of coming on as like a young leader for this defense. And I'm loving it. You have their linebackers playing well. Their running backs are doing really good. is kind of getting back to that grinding power back type thing. And P. Ryan is kind of like their underrated signing of the offseason. He has been doing in pretty good work for them. And overall, I agree with you. If you have Joe Flacco as your starting quarterback, if you were talking like 2013-2014, you can get away with that, with the middle-tier defense. But in 2023, yeah, new. I'm surprised he's still in the league. I thought he would have retired by now. But I, the really, the only good thing that happened here was Jerome Ford is still doing really good and... I really can't say much else just because besides him, you really don't have any hope on that offense, especially with Dorian Thompson Robinson being out.
0: Not to mention Jake. um, I think Joe Flacco was raking leaves when he ended up getting the call to come up for the Cleveland Browns. So yeah, I think Denver Jake is going to be a playoff team. I wanted to pick them as one, during the season or during our predictions, but I just didn't know how big of a jump we would see from the offense overall. I thought Russ would be better with Sean Payton than Nathaniel Hackett, but I didn't think that they could rattle off five straight wins after being one in five. And so I'm looking forward to see if they do make it into the dance, Jake, they can make some noise and maybe upset one of these big teams. I could see them beating maybe a Jacksonville, or hell, they've beaten Kansas city once they could do it again, but Jake, we're going to move on to your second game, which was the Jaguars and the Texans. What a game that was as well. Jake Jacksonville holding on for the win 24 to 21 after a 58 yard field goal doinked on the crossbar, just short. What were your thoughts on this game? Jake?
1: I think going into this game, it was, we talked about this last week, whoever wins this game is more than likely going to be holding on to the division for the rest of the season, which now the Texans don't have a lead on them through the divisional wins. They're now tied, and Jags have a two-win shot on them, which, yes, there is still a shot. The Texans can regain that. With the six games they have left, but I don't know if the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to let it go and let them come back. I think that there was a good amount of ref ball in this game, which was kind of like oh great refs another fucking game. But we finally got to see Calvin Ridley kind of come back and kick ass for the first time since what week seven, week eight.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I
1: really think that the defense really showed up for the uh, uh, Jags. I mean, Josh Allen got two and a half sacks. Trayvon Walker chipped in a half sack, and Roy Robinson Harris, kind of like a very good player for them, that does not get talked about in that interior of their line, did pretty good. T.J. Stroud is still playing amazing. Twenty-six for thirty-six, three hundred and four, two touchdowns on the in the air. He even showed his wheels a bit. He was the only thing that really went good on their rushing attack. Six for 47 and a touchdown. You'll take that. He did all that he could, and it it could have went to overtime, but sadly it just didn't. I think one thing that we kind of need to talk about is with Derek Stingley Jr. finally back in the fold, he's doing pretty good. He's gotten back-to-back picks coming off of IR in these last two weeks, and he's shown that potentially he sh- he is worth that third overall pick from last draft. Now, everybody's going to talk about, like, S- Sauce Gardner, how he's the best cornerback from that class, and rightfully so at this moment. I think Stingley's remembering all that and saying, like, all right, fuckers, I'll show you. But I really think that the— refs did quite a bit in this game i'm not going to say that at the end of the day the jags should have lost but i wanted to i wish i could have seen a clean game from this instead of seeing ref ball and determining a very close game that should have been a either going to ot or possibly could have went the other way
0: Yeah. 13 total penalties in this game, six on Jacksonville, seven on the Texans. Jake, I thought the biggest thing though, was that sack that CJ Stroud took that knocked them out of, uh, out of field goal range a little bit. I think had that sack not happened, they probably tie it up and send it to overtime. It's a young kid, you know, CJ Stroud, he's a rookie. He's going to learn things like that they were perfect in the red zone. Jacksonville was two for three. And Jake, a lot of the things here, I mean, they were pretty damn identical on a lot there. Now, granted Jacksonville did get four first downs from penalties. So definitely inopportune timing for penalties definitely cost the Texans here. But Jake, I think the other thing that we need to talk about that you did not mention, Trevor Lawrence did not get sacked, which is very notable because this is a defense that has played a lot better down this last stretch. I mean, will Anderson, he's a sweet rusher. Sheldon Rankins, he can rush pretty damn well. I thought that they would be able to get touches on Jack or on a uh, Trevor Lawrence. They only hit him twice. whereas Jacksonville's defense, Josh Allen with two and a half sacks, really did change this. And I think also, Jake, another thing that I would look at as well, the running game wasn't necessarily completely there, but you do have Trevor Lawrence who is willing to run more. I mean, he did have another rushing touchdown that gives him three in the last two games, which we didn't really expect. And then you mentioned Stroud running the ball as well. This is what we saw in his last game at Ohio State against Georgia where they turned him loose. And the reason being is because they didn't have a backup quarterback. So you couldn't have Stroud run that much because you needed him because you didn't have anyone else. But seeing that, you know, he has this in his arsenal, I think Trevor Lawrence said it best. He's happy for Stroud, but he really wishes this division was absolutely not competitive at all because this could be a shootout that we see for years to come. Trevor Lawrence is looking a lot more like the, the quarterback that we thought he would be. And CJ Stroud, we thought that he was going to be the potentially Jake. There were talks that he would not be in the top five picks. And yet Houston to their credit did what they were supposed to do. Take a quarterback with that second overall pick. And it is rewarding them massively. Now I think that Houston still has a chance to make the playoffs. Unfortunately, the division is going to be out of their hands. But Jake, that Indianapolis game, that could decide at all. But Jake, we're going to move on to my second game. And that was Ravens Chargers. And Jake, this game was one of those games that I thought was really, really weird. Because I mean, Ravens won 20 to 10. Justin Herbert didn't play great. He did have that really, really bad pick that Arthur Millette just absolutely stole. But I mean, it didn't help that he fumbled, Eckler fumbled, and Keenan Allen fumbled. When do you think your three best players are going to put the ball on the ground, Jake? Because I don't think that'll happen too, too often. Now, Lamar was, he wasn't flashy, but he did exactly what he needed to do 18 to 32, 177 and a touchdown. And then he also he did contribute on the ground, but this was mainly a ground game, Jake. This defense for Los Angeles got absolutely chewed up. 35 total carries for the Ravens, 197 yards, and it was really broken open. The reason why this game ended 20 to 10 was Zay Flowers on a fly sweep taking it 37 yards for a score, his only carry of the entire game. And Jake, I really was just, I was very worried about how the Ravens could potentially early on in the game. I was like, this is way too close for a team that is essentially dominating the other. Because again, you got four turnovers in this game and you didn't turn the ball over once. And so I was just like, how is this game still close? How is it only 13 to 10? And then Zay Flowers took that touchdown and I just went, this game's over. Now, Jake, it is rumored to be that Brandon Staley at the end of the season is going to lose his job, barring basically them winning the Super Bowl somehow. But at four and seven, I don't think you can make that. I think you've lost too many key games that even if you won out, you wouldn't make the playoffs, but Jake Keaton Mitchell, I'm really curious if he's going to get more touches because again, he, he was second in carries uh, Lamar, but Gus Edwards only had one more or one less carry than him. And justice Hill is still there. If you're a fantasy player, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be touching the Ravens backfield with a 10 foot pole, but Jake is Keaton Mitchell going to become their new star running back? Because while he is tiny, we're seeing that he's averaging 7.1 yards a carry. He averaged 7.1 yards a carry in this game. I think that they need to give him the ball a little bit more, especially get him through the air. They only threw it to him two times. I think the Ravens at nine and three aren't out of the realm of possibility of securing the number one seed.
1: Oh, no, Definitely. I think they're actually in the number one seat right now. And with the whole Keaton Mitchell argument, I see him as a high-end number two and a spot starter number one. You are right. He's very tiny. I don't know if he'd be able to take a main running back one position because the wear and tear on his body might do a lot because he's a tiny back. I think the thing that you're going to look at is he is what Jalen Warren is for the Steelers, but this is their Jalen Warren. A smaller back that is shifty can get really good in open field and has a good amount of burst. I think Edwards is going to be your RB1, but Keaton, it's going to be a 1A, 1B, kind of like with how the Steelers have. That's like the best scenario I can put it up for. Mitchell's going to get a lot of from between the 20s, but Edwards is going to be your red zone uh, machine. I think that's the best way to put this running back by committee thing. I think at the end of the day, it works. You have your classic slash and bash type concept with them. You have your lightning, you have your thunder. And I think that is really working because you also have a quarterback that runs 4-4. So, their offense in their run game, I'm not worried about it. The thing that I really think that helped the Chargers even stay in this game was a resurgence of Khalil Mack. He now has 13 sacks on the season. That is the second highest of his career. and. He's a dark horse for defensive player of the year, which I don't know if he'll get it just because you with how top heavy the conversation is this year. But to say that a older pass rusher like him could be a dark, could even be in the conversation, is saying something. But I think Jackson did enough to kind of win the game for them. But it's like you said with Eckler Herbert and Keenan all fumbling the ball, you said it best. When are you going to see pr- probably three players at, that are at the considered to be in the elite, if not damn near elite, of their position group fumble all in the same game? Ball security is something that has always been an issue for the Chargers this year, and shit, man, I really don't know I think they're really missing Mike Williams. That might be like their biggest injury on the year. What do you think?
0: It really is because you don't have that jump ball specialist anymore, that deep threat. And Quentin Johnston has not looked at all like a number one pick. He has not looked like a first round pick. He's honestly looked like maybe a fourth. And I think this could be, you know, an adjustment year for him. Maybe he needs a year to develop. But it is significant with the fact that even when they have him, you know, out there, he really doesn't seem to really blossom or stand out. Now, you mentioned Khalil Mack, Dark Horse, defensive player of the year. He actually has the same set sa- amount of sacks as Miles Garrett, and he's third. But that's because this there's a tie for first and it's only by a half sack more which is really wild to see. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a chance for it, but real quick, if we're gonna mention Defensive Player of the Year candidates, maybe Duran Bland needs a little bit of love there. But Jake, we're gonna move on to our final game for our Eyes on Five recap, and that was arguably the Game of the Year, Jake. We pegged this game as a potential Game of the Year candidate, and it did not disappoint. Philadelphia, though, coming away with the win 10-1 now after beating the Buffalo Bills 37-34 in overtime. And Jake, this game was one of those games that you could argue Philadelphia should have lost this game because it came down to one massive play. Buffalo got the ball first in overtime, and Josh Allen lobs a pass to Gabe Davis, who ran the other way. Now you can put it on whoever you want, blame wise. I genuinely think though that they were saying that they ran zero coverage, bomb blitz. So everyone's coming. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen lobbed it up to the middle of the field and Gabe Davis just missed the memo. Now it could also be that Josh Allen put the ball in the wrong spot and Gabe Davis was supposed to run that corner. Either way, they should have won this game, but Philadelphia, Jake, they win so many ugly games, and to be honest, I think this has become what they are. Now, Jalen Hurts had five total touchdowns, 18 to 31 for 200 yards, three touchdowns. He did have a pick, but then on the ground, ran it 14 times, 65 more yards, and two rushing touchdowns, one, of course, being a tush push, and then the last one being the game winner. Now, Jake, A.J. Brown was solid, but five catches for 37 yards and a touchdown, not quite what we've seen from him. Now, Devontae Smith, on the other hand, seven for 106 and a touchdown, that is something that we've been needing to see from him because we really haven't been seeing much of Devontae Smith. He's kind of been taking a back seat to A.J. Brown. And then Jake, Olamide Zacchaeus who was the number four receiver for the Falcons for quite a while, he did have that touchdown 29 yards, and it was a throw that, to be honest, that was just Jalen making magic, and just out of the outstretched hand of the defender, he ends up catching it, and that was really a game changer to me. Now, the turnover battle, Jake, was actually lost by the Eagles. And that's one of those things where the Eagles have started very, very slow. They were down 24-14 going into the fourth quarter, and then they exploded for 17 in the fourth to make it what it was, a game in overtime. I wouldn't be surprised if Philadelphia ended up getting the number one seed, but at the same time, I could also see them losing it Maybe to the Niners, who they do play this week, we'll touch more on that game later. And Jake, the Bills, they're 6-6, six and six, and they're 1-4 in road games. Now, Josh Allen, through no fault of his own, he had 420 total yards and four total touchdowns. And he was actually pretty clean with the ball. He did have that pick, which obviously you, know, you can't have. James Bradbury, though, is a very good corner. I thought that overall, Jake, this was a game where the defenses were kind of non-existent. There were only three total sacks in this game, and I really am just shocked by one thing and one thing only. The fact that we haven't talked about Sean McDermott, or at least it hasn't been talked about a ton, Sean McDermott being on the hot seat because he's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if he is fired at the end of the year because of the fact that it seems they've hit their limit with him. And it also seems like Jake Joe Brady, I don't think he's going to be able to get the head coaching job, but he has turned around this offense a lot more after what we saw with Ken Dorsey getting fired because they have scored in back-to-back games, Jake, 32 and 34 points. This is one of those things. Oh, sorry. One last thing. They also ran 92 plays, Jake. The Eagles had let the Bills run 92 plays, go 13-22 of on third down, and gave up 505 total yards, and they still won this game. Now, Buffalo shot themselves in the foot with 11 penalties, but Jake, I think that we should be looking at the Eagles. I think that this is the way that they win. I just don't think they will blow out teams. But if it's a close game, I I don't know how you bet against them now.
1: Oh, easy. I think with Philadelphia, it really depends on how they carry these last 6 games because they still have a good amount of games left that they could lose a couple here and there. I think at the end of the day, they're going to lose two more, but I think they're going to hold on to that first seat because of how far ahead they are to everybody. The thing that I thought was Amazing was, you mentioned 92 total plays. Time of possession. This was 48 minutes and 30 seconds for the Bills. 26 minutes and 53 seconds for the Eagles. The Bills have more than a third more time possession because they did very good at extending drives and tiring out this Eagles defense, but Jalen Hurts just did Jalen Hurts' things. It's like you said with that Zacchaeus catch. That was just him doing Jalen Hurts' things. And he's almost... I wouldn't say locked up, but he is there for MVP voting. He is the number one by a good, clean margin, and the only two that could catch up to him would be Lamar and Dak. Dak is probably the one that has the best chance of catching him with how he's doing with this stats. But I think Hurts is doing enough to show, like, the winningest quarterback on the bet on the team with the most wins is going to win the MVP this year. He, statistically, he may not be the best, but he's shown that he is definitely good in clutch situations. I think the argument you need to have is he is better when his team is down than when his team is ahead. Because his passer rating is drastically different when you compare the two. I think at the end of the day, if you can't contain him in the pocket, you're going to end up like this. 65 carries for two touchdowns. Now, the thing I'm worried about is can his body keep up with this? Because you're getting into the colder season where hits like the ones he was taking could end up doing something. And it's only going to take one wrong lineman or defensive lineman to land on him with a tush push to either land on his hand, his neck, his shoulder, and he's out. And That's at that point, true. you're fucked. That's true. I mean, there's and... even talks. Oh. No, no, no. Go ahead go. go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. There's, there's even talks that Roger Goodell is considering banning the tush push. I think at the end of the day, you're going to see Jalen Hurts win MVP and. I I'm going to put, I'm almost willing to put money. He's going to break Cam Moon's rushing record for a single season by a quarterback.
0: I think it's possible. And Jake banning the tush bush was talked about last year because they ran it so much and they decided to let it be for one year, but because they have been seeing more injuries, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up banning it this year because it is a, it's not only is it a dangerous play potentially, but it is just an ugly play overall. I've told you, I think it's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. It's basically just a bunch of guys slapping meat (laughs) to put it in a nutshell. It's basically a bunch of big meaty men slapping meat and pushing a guy all the way into the end zone or forward for first down. I wouldn't be surprised if it got banned because, to be honest, let's think about it. The NFL is a TV show still at the end of the day. It is an entertainment thing. It is an entertainment entity. And it's just not good entertainment. And it's also dangerous. And remember, Jake, Jalen Hurts, when he went into the Super Bowl last year, he was hurt. He missed three games and Gardner Minshew played for them. I wouldn't be surprised, Jake, if we do end up seeing Jalen Hurts maybe have to dial it back. Because if he does enter hurt again, I don't like their chances. But Jake, one final thing. No, securing the number one seed for Philly would be massive because they are unbeaten at home so they know they can win on the road but if you get them in that Lincoln financial field, good luck. all right Jake moving away from that we have the Thursday night football recap we teased it before. I'm going to let you go first because, like you said, I have a lot to say and I do. So, what were your thoughts on Dallas beating Seattle 41 to 35?
1: This game was what one of our buddies said at best. This was a penalty ball. Both teams had over 125 yards of penalties com- together. The Cowboys had 9 penalties for 127 and the Seahawks had 10 for 130. The thing that really killed the Seattle at the end of the day was time of possession. 36 and a half minutes about for the Cowboys and only 23 and a half for the Seahawks. But Seahawks fans, you have a a diamond in the rough here. DK Metcalf finally had his dominant game. 134 yards for three touchdowns off of only six catches. He doubled his his TD receptions in this game alone. He ate Deron Bland alive. This was the one game where Bland needed to show up. He did get a pick off of Gino finally, after they kept targeting him. But damn, dude. You were potential dark horse or MVP with how great you were. This game, eh, not so much. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba did really good. Six, I mean, 7 for 32. I think the thing you need to look at is you kept this Cowboys defense to one sack. Yes, Gino was hit quite a bit and pressured a lot. But one sack to one of the better... Pass rushing units in the league, you'll take that. And you got four sacks on Dak. So, yes, at the end of the day, you did lose. But there are some takeaways from this game that are on the good side. On the Cowboys, Dak is playing phenomenal football. He is 20 total touchdowns to two interceptions in, like, the last, I think, five or six games. So, he's playing lights out. CeeDee Lamb. He is showing he is a top five receiver in this league, possibly top three. In my opinion, he is the third best receiver in the league this year behind A.J. Brown and Tyree Kill. Jake Ferguson is emerging as a legit tight end option, which is great. They needed that ever since Jason Witten got out of town and they lost the tight end that they had in Dalton Schultz. Um, At the end of the day, they needed to get pressure. And they got pressure, but only one sack. So it'll look good in the pressure category, but everything else, not so much. You did good on the ground with 136. Total plays was 79 to 64. I think what really killed Seattle was 0 for 3 on 4th down. That killed them. I've kind of made my opinion on this, Adam. I'll let you have your moment here. And see how long you go because I know you have a lot to say about this game as a Seahawks fan.
0: Oh, I do. So I'm going to start off with I'm going to be a little unbiased, or I'm going to be unbiased for the start of this before I delve into my fanatical Seahawk phase. But I did think that Dallas played extremely well, and this was their first win against in my opinion, a quality opponent because it was their first win against a team with a winning record. They hadn't had one since. The last two teams that they had faced with winning records, they lost. Philly and San Francisco, their two biggest contenders in the NFC. Dak did play extremely well, but at the same time, I do think that it did help with C.D. Lamb getting targeted 17 times, doubling the next closest, And catching 12 for 116 and that touchdown, I'll be honest, Jake, I really thought they should have doubled him. I don't, I think that's what most teams should do going into games now, because we've seen that Dak is going to look for CD on at least half of his attempts. Damn close. He, Dak threw it 41 times and, you know, 17 targets, 41, damn close. I think Jake also, we finally saw Tony Pollard get a little bit going on the ground, which he very much needed to do 20 carries only 68 yards, but he did get a touchdown, definitely a touchdown that he fought for as well. It was very impressive. And I did think that Dallas overall, their defense, they came up with a big play right at the end. Now, granted, I would also sum it up as a miscommunication by Seattle. Why in the hell would you ever have, uh, Micah Parsons unblocked on the last play, getting a free run at Geno Smith. I think that's honestly, that was the biggest play of the game on fourth down, but I don't think that that's what necessarily won it for them. Now, let me get into my Seahawks. So I thought that overall, I thought that they played pretty damn well. Gino did play extremely well. Again, didn't get sacked, but granted, he did have that pick, but I'm also going to put that more on Tyler Lockett. That was a pretty lazy out route, and I was listening to uh, Shannon Sharp and Chad Johnson listening to their podcast, Nightcap, and they mentioned that Tyler Lockett was not only was it a lazy route, but he was leaning towards the out route anyway. So Duran Bland basically was just getting a free pick, regardless. He just had to catch it. But at the same time, Jake, I thought that running the ball, they did it effectively. But here's where I'm gonna get a little annoyed. So they were three, they were 0 for 3 on fourth down, Jake. I think that the biggest key was the first. Fourth down that they went for. Seattle was very creative with how they ran the ball. They were running it a lot outside, but they were doing some inside. What the fuck was that play call? They basically ran Jake halfback dive. They basically ran a halfback dive strong, which was under center, straight up the gut. And Demarcus Lawrence ate his guy's lunch money and got a free wrap up. That right there to me was what ended the game because it allowed Dallas to i believe they tied up the game after that stop because Jake no one punted in this game there was not a single punt in this game now i think also Seattle's penalties definitely hurt them a lot you know, you can't have 10 penalties for 130 yards dk had 134 yards and you have 10 penalties for 130. Yeah, that's not going to work. But Jake, I thought it was also noticeable. And I was complaining about this a lot. I I don't think Geno Smith is the guy long term for Seattle. But I thought it was very telling how you had six penalties on Seattle. Like four or five penalties, actually. Now that I think about it, when this happened and they got penalized five times on one drive that dallas ended up scoring a touchdown on i don't want to say that it was heavily influenced by the referees but i did think it was very very noticeable that a lot of them were very ticky tack pass interference and you even had the announcers kirk herb went i'm not seeing anything i don't know what they're calling that is what bothered me the most about this game. Now, Seattle is six and six, Jake. They have lost any chance of winning the division, barring Brock Purdy getting hurt again, which I'm not wishing on him. I would rather him stay healthy. It's a better product to watch him play. But Jake, <sighs> I think Seattle is in a very weird spot. I think they can make the playoffs. Still, I think, They got knocked out with this loss, but I think that they are still going to be able to sneak their way into the playoffs. But at the same time, I'm sort of caught in between them wanting to make the playoffs, and I wouldn't be upset if they bottomed out because of the fact that they need a quarterback. Geno Smith played very well, but this was after a stretch where he did not look like a starter, let alone a franchise guy, a guy that you should be paying $35 million. I think that if Michael Penix is able to fall to them, if Bo Nix or Jaden McDaniels somehow falls to them, they should draft him. I'm not very big on J.J. McCarthy. I think he's a little too slender, like a little too slightly built because in this division, in the NFC West, you're going to get pounded. You still have Aaron Donald. Arizona has always got a solid pass rush. And San Fran has basically murderer's row. I think that, Jake, this is the best Seattle could play. And I think that they absolutely should have won this game. And I've listened to a lot of players uh, and a lot of analysts say, that they should have won this game. They probably should have won this game over Dallas. But credit to Dallas, because they did play well, albeit they did get very assisted by the refs. And Dak is playing clean. My last little point is Dak is playing very clean. But so is this O-line. He got sacked three times in the first half once the rest of the game. And I think that if Dak is able to play this clean, you mentioned he's... In the MVP conversation, if he is able to go to Philadelphia and get a win, I think you absolutely have to talk about him in the MVP conversation then, because then you have a division that is completely up for grabs. But I think that for Seattle, you're potentially trying to make the playoffs, but you do have an eye on on the future and an eye on the offseason. but jake we're gonna move things over to our eyes on five predictions for week 13 now you went four and one in our predictions last week i went two and three the eagles game absolutely screwed me and you then also had me taking Jake Browning for some ungodly reason. But Jake, what is your first game for this week's Eyes on 5?
1: So my first game is going to be a struggling juggernaut versus a team that is trying to regain their semblance, whatever that means for them. And that is the Detroit Lions versus the New Orleans Saints. I don't know what's been going on with the Lions these last three weeks. I think them getting their ass kicked by the Ravens kind of put them in a turn, like a downward spiral. You lost three weeks ago. You almost got beat by the fucking Bears. If it wasn't for the Bears doing Bearsy things, and you got beat by my Packers when you had the superior team on Thanksgiving. Now, whether that be astronomy, or just Lions on Thanksgiving getting their ass kicked, and it's cursed. I don't know. But I need to see this Detroit Lions offense do better. They need to stop the turnover plays. And Aaron Glenn, you are a former DB, a damn good one at that. Figure out what's going on with your secondary. Your front seven is doing okay. But your cornerbacks are getting absolutely fucking killed. You need to figure shit out. You need to stop with this quarter, quarter, half, or quarters stuff or man coverage. Try to disguise shit. You as a, I'd say, very good DB. Not Hall of Fame, but Hall of Very Good. And he should be able to teach these guys up and throw them out there like a bunch of rabid dogs. Like how their head coach wants them to be. On the opposite side of the ball with the Saints, I their freaking offensive coordinator of something, Carmichael, he has been, what's the politically correct way to put this? Dog shit? Yeah, I was trying to be nice. Because you have weapons. You have a healthy Michael Thomas for once. Chris Olave is a, what, would you say top 10 receiver? Not top 12 at worst with how he's been playing his last year, his rookie year and this year, Adam? Yeah, I'd say top 12. Okay, so you have an alpha wide receiver. You have a former alpha in Michael Thomas. Your tight end room is pretty freaking good. You have a really good running back in Alvin Kamara. You have a good O-line. Figure shit out, dude. You have a middling quarterback in both Winston and Carr. Try to figure something out here. I like what he's been doing with Taysom Hill. That is the only compliment I will give him. That he has been using Taysom Hill very creatively. Only compliment I'm going to give Carmichael. I think it was Pete Carmichael. Dennis Allen, he's been doing really good with the defense. I'm not going to throw blame on him, but he needs to get his offensive staff and either fire them or get shit figured out. I think the Lions have a good shot of winning this, but any given Sunday is a term that they speak in the NFL. With how the Lions have been weird these last this last month, really, and the Saints fighting to get their lead back of the division, I think it's up in the air who wins this. I'd say the Lions, just from a talent standpoint and a coaching standpoint, But I don't know at the end of the day. What do you think, Adam?
0: Well, I think that Detroit absolutely needs to win this game if they want to even try and make sure that they I mean, they should secure the division with last week's Minnesota Vikings loss on Monday Night Football in a game that granted Joshua Dobbs gave away four times over, but. I think Detroit needs to win this game and they probably should win this game, but it is notable, Jake, that Alex Anzalone is not going to be playing in this game. He is going to still be nursing that hand injury. But on the same, on that same point, Jake, New Orleans is hurt all over. Kendrick Miller is going to be out. Rashid Shaheed, he's not playing. Marcus May, he's out. Pete Werner, he's out. And then questionable, you have Chris Olave dealing with that concussion, your center, Eric McCoy, Cam Jordan with an ankle, and your kicker with a right groin injury. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but when you try to kick, what do you think you need to have intact usually? Your groin. <laughs> I think, uh, Yeah. I think that... For the Saints, Dennis Allen is most likely going to lose his job and you're going to be starting over. But Derek Carr, Jake, he has not been playing very well. He really hasn't. And I think that what you're wanting to see at this point, because you still have a chance to win this division, because everyone in this division are bums, you want to be able to... If Derek Carr wants to prove that he is a long-term answer for the saints, like they paid him to be, this is the kind of game that you win because the lions are coming in embarrassed. And Jared Goff, Jake in the last, what I believe two games has five turnovers, five or six. He had three against, I mean, he had three against, I no, I think it's six. Cause I think he had three fumbles last week against the Packers or no, he had one, but Jake, he also did have, um he did also have three picks the week prior. No, it was three fumbles. Yeah. So he's got six turnovers in the last two games. That, he's going to be coming in, hopefully pissed off and ready to play better. And David Montgomery, Jake, if he is able to get that run game going, as well as Jameer Gibbs... This could be a very winnable game for the Lions, one that they could win extremely comfortably. Now, they're favored by four and a half. I don't know if I'd give them that much. I think that the Saints have a chance to keep this close, but the over under is 46 and a half. So, you know, a 25, 21 game Saints would cover. I definitely think that the Lions probably should win this game, probably like 27, 20, something like that. But we'll get into our picks later on, but Jake, I'm going to go with my first game. And my first game is going to be arguably a game of the week candidate if we didn't have our shared game. And that is Broncos heading to Houston to take on the Texans. Now they are both six and five, but how they've gotten there is a little bit different. The Texans, they were on a winning streak before they lost a heartbreaker to Jacksonville. But the Broncos, Jake, they are riding high with a five game winning streak and they have turned opponents over again, like we mentioned earlier, 15 times in the last four games. I think that Jake, what's really going to come down to is can they turn CJ Stroud over? He's only got five picks on the season compared to 19 touchdowns. He has played extremely well. And I think that For a rookie like him, he is definitely making it to where he's got a connection with Nico Collins. He loves his connection with Tank Dell. He's even making Noah Brown look good, which I didn't think was possible after he left Dallas. I think though, Jake, this Broncos defense, they've been playing extremely well. There is a chance that the law of averages could come back to bite them. They could not get a single turnover on CJ Stroud and not really get a ton of pressure on him. And this Broncos defense could revert back to what we saw when they were one and five, po- pre five game win streak. But I think Jake, this could be a very high scoring game. I think that again, we mentioned last week, we were curious if Sean Payton would open up the offense. I think if they get down 14, three, 17, seven, you're gonna have to turn Russell Wilson loose and trust that he is going to be able to make plays. I don't think you can continue to lean on this running game where you go run, run, pass, or run, 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 or run, pass, run. I think that you're going to have to open it up at some point, and this would be a very good litmus test to see if you can actually do that with Russell Wilson. Because he looks about 85% of what he did in Seattle. The yardage totals aren't there, but... The running ability, he's showing that. He is showing touchdown to interception ratio, absolutely phenomenal. Passer rating, same thing. I think this could actually end up being a decently high-scoring game if you don't see a bunch of turnovers from the Broncos, and I don't think the Texans are going to be able to force too many. Now, the line is Houston three and a half. I would take the Broncos and the points. Jake, but what do you think? This game could either be
1: a, I'm not going to say a shootout just because I think both teams' defenses are too good. And I don't think, at this point in the season, I don't think you're going to see Sean Payne open up the playbook, a.k.a. the passing game for Russell Wilson. I think you're going to see a lot of quick time throws, a good amount of play action, but you're going to see the run game mostly for the Broncos and try to contain the Houston Texans pass rush, which has been pretty freaking good this year. I think the game plan for the Texans is going to be they're going to bully whichever receiver is not being covered by Patrick Sertan. I think they have the weapons to do it. I think you're probably going to see Sertan on Nico or possibly even Tank Delphi's in the slot. But who knows what's going to happen with this game. They're both six and five. I think with – CJ Stroud playing out of his mind for a rookie and Wilson quietly having a top three career year for himself, especially after last year where people said he was washed. I think if it wasn't for Damar Hamlin playing even just a single snap after his injury last year, I think you could say Russell Wilson would be one of the top three people for comeback player of the year. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to which quarterback is going to play most mistake-free football. Because I think both these teams have a lot of talent and a lot of up-and-coming talent. It really, like I said, who's going to play more clean football? Both quarterbacks have been very safe with the ball so far. I don't know who's going to do it, because I can make a case for either one of them. But I think it's going to be a close game Probably within four or five points, maybe even a field goal. I think it's going to be a good game. And like you said at best, this could be a potential game of the week if it wasn't for 49ers-Eagles.
0: Yes, very much so. Especially, Jake, now I will say this. Dalton Schultz is going to be out for the Texans dealing with a hamstring injury. Noah Brown and Tank Dell are both questionable Now, for the Broncos, questionable is Damari Mathis, but to be honest, I don't think that they would mind if he didn't play because he was looking like Eli Apple minus the shit-talking. But, Jake, moving on to your second game, I believe you said that it was... I believe you said... What it was the Colts and Titans. Okay, that's what I thought.
1: <laughs> so this pick, it goes kind of close with yours. With Colts and Texans are both six and five. But I believe Colts have tight because they've beaten the Texans.
0: Yes, this I, I think game they will determine, to play.
1: Yep. This game could potentially determine who gets that seventh seed. Because the Colts are the 7th seat right now, and Texans are number 8, I believe. I think the Colts should beat the Titans in this game. Because (laughs) it's a revolving door at quarterback, and Derrick Henry is starting to look mortal. I think if there's going to be a game he's going to try to show his former self, it is going to go against the Colts. Because... He said it best. He only had 43 rushing yards his last game against the Colts. And he said it was fucking embarrassing, pretty much. I need to do better, and I'm going to do better. I think this is going to be a King Henry and not much else for offense again for the Titans. I, I'm very puzzled how the Colts, with Gardner Minshew playing pretty much Two months, pretty much nine, ten weeks of football. Well, eight, I'd say eight weeks of football is six and five. It is a testament to Shane Steichen that he has been able to do something really good with this offense. And the Colts defense has been secretly one of the better defenses in the league that no one is talking about. That freaking front four is getting after people. And Zaire Franklin, man, he is top. I think he's number two or number one in the league in total tackles. He has just been kicking ass. I think that the Colts should win this and go to 7-5. and And if the Texans do lose to the Broncos, you could see the Colts just run away with that seventh seat. Now, in the playoffs, they're probably going to be one and done. Because I don't like Gardner-Mitchell going against any of the top dogs in the AFC because they will get pounced. But I think the Texans, I think the not Texans, I think the Colts will do more than enough to win this game, unless you see that Tennessee Titans defense just take over, or King Henry has a 150-yard performance.
0: I think that's very possible, and Derrick Henry has been long overdue having a game like that, especially because, Jake, he he's still top five in rushing, but only 739 yards, and it hasn't had the same impact that we've really seen. And he's only had three 20-plus-yard rushing plays, where we've usually seen him have, you know, seven or eight by this time. Right now, the leader in big plays, it's tied Raheem Mostert and Najee Harris, both with seven. I think, Jake, that what I want to see from this game is I want to see, can Gardner Minshew continue to have mediocre games where he doesn't make mistakes and he's able to toss a touchdown or run one in, keep it low scoring and keep it mistake free because the Titans with Will Levis, Jake, I think that. This is a game where they can test that Colts secondary, which hasn't necessarily been all that great. And it hasn't been great for a while. I, it wouldn't shock me, Jake, if somehow we see a repeat of the Colts Browns, potentially a 33-32 type game where it's high scoring because it's one of those games that it looks ugly enough to where it's going to be overly entertaining when no one expects it. Now, Derrick Henry definitely needs to be a part of that in order for that to happen. I think that this is definitely a game that he could bounce back with, maybe crack over a thousand yards in this game. You know, bold prediction. I don't think he will, but you never know. I think Jake though, that I want to see, can Will Levis be the guy? That's what this has become for the Titans because they're basically out of playoff contention. What you're wanting to see, and because this is a divisional game, What you're basically wanting to see, Jake, is do we have the right quarterback? Now, you drafted him with the 33rd overall pick, so you're probably going to be stuck with him for at least two more years. I think, though, that if he can outduel Gardner Minshew, which shouldn't be too difficult considering, but if he can actually do that, I think that if you're a Titans fan, you're looking forward to it. Now, Jake, here's an interesting little fact. All four of the Titans wins have come at home. They are four and one at home, but the Colts are four and one on the road. So it is going to be a test of strength versus strength. Now, I will say this, Jake, on the injury side, you have Jonathan Taylor, who is out. He's out for the season now after that thumb injury. And for the Titans, Traylon Burks is questionable with dealing with that concussion, I think this could be a running back duel. Zach Moss versus Derrick Henry. I don't know who wins it, but if you're the, I think the running game, Jake, is going to decide this game because you both have two great running backs. Zach Moss, we don't think is great, but he has looked great. Very interesting to see. I'm curious about it. Definitely going to be keeping an eye on it. Now, Jake, moving on to my second game again, because there aren't too many great games for me to pick. I'm going to have to dive into the primetime games, Jake. I'm going to be taking Monday Night Football, Bengals, Jaguars. And the reason why I'm taking this game is mainly because of the fact that Jacksonville did come off a very emotional win against the Texans and the Bengals aren't necessarily great, but they are this perfect kind of trap team, even with Jake Browning, that we might not be expecting much from. Now, I think that Jacksonville, in their pursuit to try to attain the number one seed, which I did predict early on in the season, they're definitely going to have to win this game. And I think also they're gonna to need to see Travis Etienne really shine because he is cooled off significantly. I think that if he's able to get another burst of, you know, maybe two touchdowns, hundred yards on the ground, I think that that would go a long way moving into the postseason because you really want to have that running game humming like you had before. And Trevor Lawrence, if he can continue to play as well as he has been, maybe, you know, toss in another 300 yard performance against a Bengal secondary that, without Cam Taylor-Britt, is pretty mid. I think that would be very, very big. Now, Jacksonville is favored, Jake, by a heavy margin. They're favored, I believe, by nine and a half, which I don't know if I love them that much, but I definitely think that they should win this game at least comfortably, at least within a touchdown. And, Jake, another thing is with the injury report of this game... Now, granted, it is on Monday night, so things could change, but Cam Taylor-Britt has already been ruled out dealing with both a quad and an ankle. Tyson Campbell, though, Jake, for the Jaguars, is now questionable dealing with that hamstring injury, but so is Travis Etienne dealing with ribs. I think that if Tyson Campbell is able to go, I would like Jacksonville a lot more because then you finally have your best cornerback and you're dealing with Jake Browning, who We don't think much of Jake. I had hope for him maybe coming in, replacing Joe Burrow. He hasn't looked fantastic. Now, you can argue it's against the Steelers, but even still, teams have been able to score on the Steelers. I think, Jake, that overall, this is going to be a game that Jacksonville should dominate. But again, it looks like a trap game. What do you think?
1: This definitely has all the makings to be a trap game. I will agree with you 100% on that because it's the Jacksonville defense can do amazing one game and then just shit the bed the next. The only consistent player they have had all year is pretty much Josh Allen. And he's coming on his own, which I love to see. I was very high on him coming out of the draft. I think he needed to have this like, alpha dog type year to prove he is one of the better pass rushers in the league. And he is doing that, but you said it best trap game central here and the Bengals could win this. And I think Texans and Colts are hoping the Bengals win this and make this a trap game because Jacksonville is two games ahead of both the second and third place seating in their division. So they need to lose if the Colts and Texas want to try to catch up here. But I think you're going to see Lou Anarumo dial up some very creative blitzes, some very creative coverages on the Bengals' defense. And I think you're going to see Evan Ingram and that run game be just shut down. I do not see Travis Etienne, the motor or the engine that starts this offense, I don't think he's going to be able to get going. I think they're going to put this game entirely in Travis and Trevor Lawrence's hands. And he's been playing good this year. But we thought that he'd be a top five quarterback. Because you you picked him for your dark horse for MVP, correct?
0: I, I picked him as my MVP.
1: Yeah, as your MVP. And he's been playing like... I want to, I wouldn't even say top 10, top 12 or top 13 maybe as a quarterback. He's been good but not great or elite like we thought he would coming into this year based off his performance of the last third of the season from last year. But it's going to be interesting cuz I could see either team making a case of winning this, but I probably would just take the easy pick and check the Jags, but I don't feel comfortable taking this.
0: Interestingly enough, Jake, Trevor Lawrence is 11th in passing behind guys like Geno Smith, Brock Purdy, Mahomes, Herbert, barely ahead of Hertz. but also, Jake, he has is only played 11 games. A few of those have guys have played 12, like Sam Howe. He's played 12 games, Dak, Josh Allen, and Geno. But I would warn you, I don't know. I think that they're going to have to lean on the run game a little bit more. But if they if the game goes as you predict, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to have another 300, 350 yard performance, which is something that we would hope we would be able to see from him. Now, Jake, moving on to the final game of our eyes on five predictions. It is potential game of the year. We said that last week with Bill's Eagles, but this one definitely has the makings for it. 49ers, Eagles. It is a rematch of the NFC Championship game, a game that last year wasn't even competitive because one of the stars of it, Brock Purdy, wasn't even healthy. He got knocked out of this game and had to deal with a really nasty elbow surgery that we thought would hammer him out for quite a while. He did come back, though, and he is playing very well, and now he gets a chance to return to the scene of the crime. And Jake, this is a game that could potentially be for the number one seed because, say the Eagles lose here and then lose to Dallas, the Niners are then in position to take the number one seed because then they would have both tiebreakers against the Eagles and the Cowboys and their path has a little bit less resistance because all they have to do then is basically beat the Seahawks. Now, I believe the Eagles can clinch their playoff berth with a win, and I believe a Detroit and Green Bay loss, which honestly couldn't, that's not on the realm of possibility, but Jake, my takeaways or my analysis going into this game, I think that, the Niners are going to be out for blood. Now, what I did like is Nick Bosa talking about this game is a completely different game than they it was from last year. They're both different teams. And re, in reality, they are. There are new faces, but there are a lot of familiar ones. Notably, Hassan Reddick, who has played okay, but not great. And he is the one that knocked Brock Purdy out of this game. So I definitely expect him to be a key player to look at, because if they want to win this game, the Eagles pass rush is going to have to come out and play. Hassan Reddick is going to need to be a big contributor. Same with Jalen Carter, who has been dominating, probably a lot for defensive rookie of the year. Maybe Devin Witherspoon could get into the conversation, but he has been phenomenal. And Nolan Smith also, if he's able to step up, that could be another Philly key to victory but I think it could come down to just quarterbacks. Brock Purdy has been playing well. And now with Trent Williams back, he has looked much better in that three game losing streak. I believe Trent Williams was out for all of those games. But now that Trent Williams is back, he looks like himself. Shocker, a good left tackle can really change things because you don't have to worry about your blind side. I think though, Jake, that, in order for the Niners to win this, Brock Purdy is going to have to continue his quote-unquote MVP run. I think that narrative's dumb. I don't think Brock Purdy at all has a chance for MVP, especially with the stats, 19 touchdowns to six picks. Granted, he is among the league leaders in that, but even still, I don't look at that as all that impressive. And Jake, I think also it could be a battle of receivers. Ayuk and Debo versus AJ Brown and Devante, which duo can go off. Now, I think a key thing to note, Jake, in the injury report here, looking at this game, I am seeing that Raymory McLeod and Eric Armstead are questionable for the Niners. Zach Cunningham, though, is out for the Eagles and Dallas Goddard is doubtful. That I think could be a big loss because Dallas Goddard had been coming on strong, not being able to have him. You really like having a tight end like him to be able to hit the seam, find open spaces in the zone and be a little bit of a security blanket. I think, Jake, that this is a game that the Niners are favored by three. I don't know if I can give the Eagles three points and not take them. But what do you think?
1: The whole three points thing is kind of interesting to me because you can make a case for either one of these teams winning, but they're in Philadelphia. They're in the Eagles' den. I don't... Because isn't it supposed to be two and a half
0: or three points taken off because of home field advantage? Usually that's what it is. However, In the last few years, you could make an argument it's really more of a one to two. But remember, like I said earlier, Jake, Philly is undefeated at home this year. Yes, it is one of
1: those fields that crowd noise is going to affect you. It's one of the few fields that will do that to you. You're going into a hostile environment with a fan base that is going to be wanting to kick your ass... Because they kicked your ass last year. Now, if Brock Purdy didn't go out last year, different things might have happened. That's in the past. We can't really make any arguments for that because we don't know what would have happened if he played the full game. But you have a pretty much a fully healthy 49ers roster here. Nobody's really dinged up except for Talanoa Hufunga, who was out for the whole year with, I believe, a ACL injury or maybe even Achilles. But... I think that their defense is going to do good enough without Hufunga because Goddard is iffy to play here. I think he's actually out, correct? He's doubtful, but he's not ruled out. Okay. But more than likely, if even if Hufunga was playing, you have Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner to put on him, so he wouldn't have done much in this game anyways. So it's kind of like, if you do and if you don't. I think that it you said it best the quarterbacks are going to determine this a lot but my thing is the Philadelphia Eagles have a, if i remember i right, have a top 5 or top 3 rush defense so this could be a game where maybe it won't be quarterback but which running game is going to have the most success because The Niners live on creative run plays from Christian McCaffrey and then the play action from their quarterback and the separation that Ayuk, Kittle, and Debo get. That is how they play their offense, and they're damn good at it. Shanahan is a very creative play caller, but I don't know if they shut the run game down and if you put... I don't even know who they would even put on Christian McCaffrey because I don't feel comfortable with any of their linebackers doing it. Nkobi Dean's out, so you can't have him do it. I think you're probably going to have to put either one of your safeties or probably Bayard would be the target on him, wouldn't you think?
0: Probably. I think that's who you would want to put him on. And I think for Kittle, you can probably just put
1: your other safety on him and either bracket coverage to him. But, dude, I think this could be a shootout because I think the O-line for the Eagles is going to be good enough to stop that San Francisco 49ers pass rush. But I don't know, man. Both these teams are out for blood. And this could be a preview of what we see in the playoffs.
0: Exactly. I think this could be a very big preview for the NFC championship game. Part two, potentially now Dallas will would probably like to enter their name into the mix of that. But we'll have to wait and see when we get there. But Jake, I want to get your predictions for these games. Who do you have? And hey, you went four and one last time to my two and three. Let's get your predictions now. So, I have the
1: Lions beating the Saints, the Colts beating the Titans. I'm going to take the upset here and say 49ers beat the Eagles. And
0: what were your picks again? Uh, My picks were Bengals, Jaguars, and Broncos, Texans.
1: I'm going to take the safe pick and take the Jags against the Bengals. And I think the Texans come back and beat the Broncos, but... Though your games are a lot closer and harder to predict than mine, in my opinion, so I'm unsure on both those, but I
0: would take Texans and the Jags. All righty, and for me, Jake, I am also going to take the Lions to win. I think they are a better team than the Saints. I think Dennis Allen they are out on him, and I think that this will eventually seal his job loss. Now, I'm going to take the Titans against the Colts. I think that Will Levis is a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew. And I trust Mike v- Vrabel as a coach a little bit more than Shane Steichen while he has play- while he has been a good coach. I don't know if he has the experience that Vrabel does. Gimme Tennessee at home. Now I am going to take the Eagles to beat the Niners. Because I think that Philly, they've heard all the noise about if the Niners had Brock Purdy healthy, the game would have been different. I think that they want to silence that. I think they want to silence those claims. And I think that they take care of business. I think it is going to be a close game. But I think it will be a last second touchdown like Jalen Hurts had last week to win the game. Now, I am also going to take the Jaguars to beat the Bengals. I think better quarterback, better coach. I like Trevor Lawrence against Jake Browning and Broncos Texans. I am taking the Broncos. They are on a three game winning streak. I think that after a game against Cleveland where they looked more physical and they were able to impose their will, I think that they go to Houston And they're able to beat a young Texans team. That is very good, but Sean Payton versus D'Amico Ryan's as good as D'Amico is. I think it's a little bit of a mismatch. Give me Sean Payton and Russell Wilson over CJ Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's Broncos beat the Texans. Before we wrap up, we can at least shorten the segment. So you wanted to do NFL fan awards for our closing thoughts. Let's, Cut it down to two of them. What were the two awards you wanted to give?
1: So we can throw out most toxic and most delusional because most Eagles, delusional. Cowboys. We all say Cowboys, Eagles, Cowboys, and Toxic Patriots, Eagles. Chiefs, Eagles. You can make it over for any one of them. I want to do most depressed and most likely to want to fire everyone. Now for the for most depressed and most likely to fire everyone, they're both in the same division. The most depressed is easily the Panthers. They've lost their pick, their first-round pick, because they traded up to draft Bryce Young. They would have the first pick in this draft. They need a weapon for Bryce Young, and to just not have that pick to draft Marvin Harrison... Oh, dude, I feel for Panthers fans. That sucks for them so much, because Bryce Young is something special, man. I think that if you're saying he's a bust... You are a complete joke of a football fan because he has so much talent. You could not even expect Tom Brady to do something with this roster. That is how bad it is. The line is bad. He doesn't have any legit weapons. The big off- the big free agent signing in Miles Sanders hasn't done shit. And your defense is at least trying. You've already fired your head coach into one year, and he went one in ten. So uh, that's for my most oppressed. Most likely to want to fire everyone is going to be the Falcons because you have legit weapons. You have a trio at running back. Cordell Patterson being your gadget guy or your receiver. You have your power back in Tyler Algier. You have that do-it-everything back who everybody labeled as the next LaDainian Tomlinson because that's how skilled he was in Bijan Robinson. You have legit weapons. You have Drake London. You have a damn freak at tight end in Kyle Pitts. You have a top five offensive line in the league. And what does your head coach do? John o. Smith gets more t- touches in Kyle Pitts in half the games. You don't use Bijan Robinson the first half of the season. You're using Tyler Algier more, which I understand he's a damn good back, but he's not B. John Robinson. And what the fuck happened to Cordell Patterson and Drake London? They're non-existent. I don't get it, man. What's your take on the Panthers and Falcons with those
0: two? Well, I think that both are absolutely accurate. And I, if you ask me the fan base that wants to fire everyone, it absolutely is the Falcons because Arthur Smith wants to basically run the ball 40 times, throw it seven. And that's just not going to work in this NFL. You're trying to basically run 1940s football when it is 2023 I think that if I'm the Falcons, I hope to all hell that Arthur Smith gets fired, but it is rumored that his job security is safe, at least for this year. So sorry, Falcons fans, you are probably going to be depressed for another year plus. And I think that the Falcon or excuse me, I think that the Panthers absolutely could make a case for the most depressed because You're right. You could have had Caleb Williams. You could have had Marvin Harrison. You traded away your best weapon in DJ Moore because you wanted that first overall pick to take Bryce Young. And now you don't have a coach because Frank Reich got fired in 11 games into his first season because David Tepper is an impatient, impulsive, whiny little bitch. I think though, Jake, you know who you could also make a case for most depressed? The New York football jets, because think about this, Jake. If you look at the AFC landscape as a whole, this was the year for them. And Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles in four plays. The Chiefs have taken a step back due to their lack of weapons outside of Travis Kelsey. The Bills have taken a step back because Josh Allen is turnover prone as all hell. The Chargers, they have taken a step back because... Brandon Staley is a joke at head coach and Justin Herbert, as great as he is, has had issues in one score games. Can't put it all on him, but it is noticeable. You look at Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence hasn't exploded and they've taken steps back as well. You look at Denver, they started off atrocious. Miami, they can't beat a team with a winning record. Patriots, they're going to be moving on from potentially everyone. All of the big contenders, Jake, in the AFC had taken steps back or were having glaring holes at certain positions, coach, weapons, quarterback, what have you. This was the year for the Jets, and now all Jets fans can do is just think about what could have been, because you had Zach Wilson, who is not an NFL quarterback, I don't even know if he, if he's a USFL quarterback. And now Tim Boyle, who makes Jets fans blood boil whenever he's on the field. I think the Jets could also be most depressed. But Jake, that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe and check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care.
1: Take it easy.